All right, good morning, everyone. Good to see all of you here today. I wonder how many of you think you're at the early service wondering what all these people are doing here that you haven't seen before. Uh, how many of you feel like you've been robbed overnight? I know I do. I feel like somebody stole an hour's worth of sleep from me. But actually it goes further than that. So I go to bed and uh, I wake up this morning and I roll over and it's 3.30 in the morning. I don't like waking up at 3.30. I know Shane gets up at 3.30 in the morning on Sundays, but I like to sleep like till 6.30. That's a good time to get up on Sunday mornings. But I look over at the clock and it's 3.30 and I'm just wide awake. I'm like, what am I going to do? And I sat there and I thought for a second, I thought, wait a second. It is not 3.30, it is 2.30 in the morning. What in the world is happening? So I've been robbed more than just an hour's worth of sleep, a bunch of sleep, so, but... I don't want anybody falling asleep this morning. So if you're sitting next to somebody and they start dozing off because they lost that hour's worth of sleep, you nudge them real hard. And I know the saying that, well, preacher, you put them to sleep, you go wake them up. And if I have to, I will. But it'll be embarrassing for them and everybody sitting around. So you might as well just give them a hard nudge and make sure everybody stays awake this morning. All right, again, good to see you today. If you have your Bibles, open them up to 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12, as we continue the series of messages we've been in uh, for several weeks now that we are calling Crucible. Crucible, the choices that change your life forever. This morning, we, as we look at 2 Samuel, we're going to see a story that, can, that started last week and continues on this week. Now just a reminder that a crucible is a container in which metals or other substances can be heated up to a very high temperature for the purpose of drawing out all the impure materials that are in there so that the impure materials can be scraped off to help make that substance even more pure. And when it comes to our life, we have crucible moments where maybe our life is heated up a little bit and we have decisions to make in that moment. And those decisions are decisions that could alter our life or change our life in many different ways. Over the past several weeks, we've been looking at the life of David and we have seen several different crucible moments in David's life where he had major decisions to make. Would he make the right decision or would he make the wrong decision? You know, as I think about the life of David, I think about David the shepherd boy. When we first see David, when he comes on the scene, he's a shepherd boy, he's taking care of his father's sheep. But I also think about David the young warrior. Remember the story of David as he goes and he takes out Goliath that the rest of the army was scared to even confront. I also think about David as king, how God had elevated him to that great place where he was king and, and a good king. I think about David as we see in Scripture that he was a man after God's own heart. And what we saw in the first several weeks of this crucible series is that kind of David. We saw David who was making the right choices, making the right decisions. But there's another side of David that I don't know about you, I don't like to think about this side. I like the side that I just mentioned, but as we saw in 2 Samuel chapter 11, we see David as a man who is prideful, who is lust-filled. We see David as a man that is a schemer, a devious man, 
an adulterer, even a murderer. We saw all of that in one chapter. And what we learned about David last week was that even really good people can make horrible decisions at different times in their life. And we saw that when David's eyes were not on God, David made choices that were not the right choices. When we see David in the Old Testament, we'd have to say that David is one of the greatest men in the Old Testament. But he has a weak side to him. And that is a reminder to us that we all have weak sides as well. That we can all stumble and fall as well. That all of us can have an opportunity in our life to not make the right choice and make a decision that can have an impact on our life. As a matter of fact, I think if we were to all be honest today, we'd, we'd have to say that there is something that I have done in my life that I wish I hadn't have done. Maybe for some of us, we would even have to say that even as a follower of Christ, there was a dumb decision that I made in my life that I regret. There was a sin that I committed in my life that I wish I wouldn't have done. I wish I could have a do-over in that part of my life. Anybody like that besides me? We have those moments. Even good men and women have moments of weakness where we can stumble and fall and possibly not make the right choice. I would be willing to bet today that if David could have a do-over, he would have chapter 11 removed from 2 Samuel. Not one of his proudest moments in life. If he could go back and redo that period of his life, I think things would change a little bit. Unfortunately, sometimes we make those mistakes, those errors in life, and we can't go back. We don't get that do-over, and we have to continue on. So as we think about David and the story in chapter 11 as we move into chapter 12 today, I want you to consider something that we see at the very end of chapter 11. So look with me, if you would, real quick. At the end of chapter 11, the very last words... It says, but the Lord was displeased with what David had done. Now last week we looked at the story story of David and Bathsheba. There was an affair. There was more than an affair. There was a cover-up. Not only was there a cover-up, but it ended up being murder. A whole crazy story in just a few verses. And we get to the end of that and it says, but the Lord was displeased with what David had done. Now, at first glance, I read that, and I see very sad words, because here's a man after God's own heart, and Scripture says that the Lord is displeased with what he had done. But the more I studied that, the more I looked at it, I actually saw some encouragement in those words. You say, how in the world can there be encouragement in those words when it says the Lord is displeased? Well, the Lord is displeased, but it says he's displeased at what David had done Not at David. Now you need to understand there's a difference there. Because Scripture could have said that the Lord was displeased with David. That's really kind of what I expect to read. But it doesn't say David, it says David's actions. And here's what we need to understand about that. For many of us, we live our life thinking, believing, that God's love for us is measured by what we do or what we don't do. 
But what we see there in those words is that God's love for David did not change because of his actions. Matter of fact, God's love for us is a perfect love. You cannot mess up bad enough for God to love you any less. You cannot do enough good works for God to love you anymore. God's love is already perfect. And even though this was not David's shining moment, even though there was a lot of failures in David's life in this one story, God did not love David any less. He was displeased in David's actions, but he still has a great love for David. And that is encouraging to us. Because in our own life, we're going to mess up, we're going to do good things, but God's love for us never changes. It is a perfect love. As a matter of fact, I can't imagine going through life, even though I have sometimes in my life, thinking that God's love is somehow measured by what I do or don't do. And that's a miserable way to be because I get up in the morning and I think, today's going to be a great day. I'm going to do everything right today. I'm going to live my life exactly how God wants me to live my life today. And 10 minutes later, I've already screwed up. Anybody else like that? And you're saying, man, I had all these good intentions. Now, if we live our life in a way that says, now God is uh, displeased with me and he loves me less because of my mess up just now, then I'm going to try to do good things to get God's love back up. And that is a roller coaster ride that God never intends for us to be on. God's love is a perfect love. And for someone here today, you may need to hear that. God's love for you is perfect. It's not measured by your successes or failures. God loves you. And we're going to see that as we dive into our passage this morning. So in 2 Samuel chapter 12, We have these words at the end of chapter 11 that God was displeased with David's actions and what he had done. Look at verse 1 of chapter 12. It says, So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. And I want us to stop right there a second. So God is displeased with David's actions. And now God sends Nathan to David to tell him a story. Here's what's happening that we're going to see in a moment. God is going to use a story to get David's attention. And what I want you to understand through this is that even though David had turned his back on God at this point in his life, David was being his own king, building up his own personal kingdom, rather than allowing God to be the king of his life, that God does not stop pursuing David. David is not pursuing God right now, but God is still pursuing David. And I love that word sent. That word sent is a very important word. As a matter of fact, if you go back and read through chapter 11, you see that word sent several times. David sent for Bathsheba. David sent for Uriah. David tried to send Uriah home. David sent Uriah back into the battle. David sent a note with Uriah for uh, his leaders to read and to put uh, Uriah back out there in the front lines. David sent. Now what that shows us and what we understand about life is usually the one that is doing the sending is the one of higher authority. David had the authority to send all the ones that he sent to do what he had asked them to do. 
But now in this part of the story, we don't know how much time has gone on from chapter 11 to chapter 12, but in this point of the story, we see that God is the one that is now doing the sending. Again, David is taking control of his own life. David is trying to be the king of his own kingdom. But it is the king of kings who now steps back into the picture and says, David, I've got to get your attention, so I am going to send someone to you. The one of greater authority now steps in. He is pursuing David. In this time in David's life where he's not pursuing God, the season where he is doing his own thing, God does not stop pursuing David. Now, I don't know if you understand this or not, but I hope you do. God is a God who pursues. And I don't know about you, but I'm so grateful for that. That while I was in my transgressions, when I was in my sin, that God was pursuing me. And he was pursuing a relationship with me. And he does the same thing for you in each one of us. He pursues. He comes after us. God doesn't want that relationship to remain broken. He wants that relationship to be restored with Him. And so He pursues us so that we can be in a right relationship with Him. So God is pursuing David. And He sends a man with a message to get David's attention. And as we will see in this passage that God is seeking after David and seeking after his heart so that his heart will be restored with him. So, let's continue on. Chapter 1. God sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He raised that little lamb and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day a guest arrived at the home of the rich man, but instead of killing an animal for his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. Now it was tradition in that day that if a stranger showed up to your home, you would feed that stranger. And so this stranger shows up at this rich man's home, This rich man has plenty of animals to choose from to feed this stranger, but instead of taking one of his own animals, he takes a sheep that has been raised by the poor man, this little lamb. He has taken him, taken that one, and used it for his guest. Now, in this story, David is hearing this, and David gets furious, and rightfully so. And notice what happens. It says in verse 5, David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. Now, the problem is the law in that time, uh, this was not a death penalty sentence. But David said the man deserves to die. How can a man do such a horrible thing to take something from a poor man that was not his own and to use it like it was his own. How can he do that? He deserves to die. But that was not the punishment in the law. So he goes on. He says he must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. So in the law, if a man stole an ox, he would have to repay that ox five times. He would have to give five ox back to pay for the one. If he stole a lamb, he would have to give four lambs back. And so David is showing here 
to Nathan, I know what God's law says. I know what Scripture says. I know how we're supposed to respond in a situation like this. And so then Nathan looks at David in verse 7, and he says to David, You are that man. The Lord, the God of Israel, says, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and his wives and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if it had not been enough, I would have given you much more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and stolen his wife. From this time on, your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. So here's David. He is drawn in to this story. And I want you to understand something. God sent Nathan to David to confront David, not to condemn David, but to convict David. God sent Nathan to David not to condemn him, but to convict him. Now, as I read through this, that's pretty strong condemnation though, isn't it? He says, David, here's his story, and David is being drawn in. By the way, God knows how to reach our heart, right? God knows how to speak to us in a way that gets our attention. And the way that God speaks to David may be different than the way God speaks to you and the way that God speaks to me, but God knew the right story to draw David in because David is a shepherd at heart. And so when he hears the story of this little uh, poor man that has this little lamb, and this little lamb is taken from him, that's going to draw David right in. And so David is all in in the story. And David is quick to cast judgment on this man that stole that lamb. And how he needs to die, he needs to pay back. He is all in because he has the heart of a shepherd. And then Nathan looks at him and says, David, guess what? You're not the judge in this story. You're the defendant in this story. This story is all about you. Then he goes on and he says, look what all God has done for you. Look at how God has blessed you. And yet, you have despised his word. And not only have you despised his word, but you have despised him. Can you imagine how David must have felt at this moment? Here's the man after God's own heart. Here's a man that has followed God, who has been obedient to God, and God has done all these great things for him, and yet he has despised God's Word, and he has despised God Himself. And now he's been confronted with that sin. Now keep in mind that Nathan being sent to David was uh, kind of a risky thing. To go to the king and to point out the king's sin could very well have cost Nathan his life. But God sent Nathan, and Nathan willingly went to have this conversation with David. So I was looking at this this week. I saw this. I loved it. It said, picture a classified ad, if you would, at this time. Classified ad comes out, and it says, looking for an individual who will confront the most powerful man in the world and point his sins out to him. Payment? possibly death. Benefits, they're out of this world. Now, how many of you are jumping on that job? 
I mean, I send my resume in, right? I'll do that. No, I wouldn't do that. But God chose the right man for the job to go and confront David. I am so glad God didn't choose me because I probably would have been like Jonah. Remember the story of Jonah? When God calls out Jonah and says, hey, you need to go to Nineveh and talk to these people. And Jonah says, no. And he goes the other way. That's exactly what I would have done. I would have headed the other direction. It is very, very risky. But again, God knows how to get to the heart of David. If Nathan would have gone right in and he would have hit straight to the point and said, David, you have sinned against God, David probably would have become very defensive. I know I would have. And he would have been like, who are you to tell me what I've done? But instead, God gives him this story. He goes in and just draws him in. Draws him in. So that now David is able to hear Not be defensive, but to hear what God has to say to him. Another thing I see amazing in this part of the story is David is being told this story and he's being told about a rich man that steals the lamb of a poor man and David immediately is like, that is wrong. How can anyone do that? That is wrong. He must be punished for what he's done. And yet David is not even recognizing his own sin in his life. But aren't we quick to do the same? Aren't we quick to see the sins and the faults of others and not recognize the sins and the problems in our own life? How easy that is for us to do as we look at others and go, well, I'm not as bad as they are. I don't have problems like they have. Oh, they need to pay for what they have done. They need to uh, be punished for what they've done the whole time that we're not even recognizing our own sin and our own problems. And you know what that's called? It's called pride, that I am somehow better than someone else, that somehow my sin in my life is okay. It's okay for me to do my own thing, but it's not okay for others to do theirs. Pride. And I found this out in life that most of the sins that creep up in our life and the sins that we fall into, you can trace them back to an area of pride in our life. Pride says it's okay for me to do this. It's okay for me to follow this temptation myself because this is a greater temptation than anybody else has ever faced, right? Not according to Scripture. It's okay for me to do this because I've earned the right to do this. And that is nothing more than pride that's in our life. And when we look at David's life at this time, in this season, it is a life that is full of pride. But as David is drawn into the story, Nathan turns the table and he says, this is you. This is you. Now this is a crucible moment for David. His sin has come out. There's conviction there because of the sin. What will he do? Will he repent of the sin? Will he turn from his sin? Will he turn back to God or will he continue on and try to justify his sin? It's a crucible moment, and David must respond. The question for us is how do we respond when we find ourselves in situations like this? How do we respond in our lives when we read Romans 3.23 that says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? That means all of us have sin in our life. How do we respond when we hear that? How do we respond when we hear that the wages of that sin is death according to Romans 6.23. 
that what we deserve is death. How do we respond to that? You see, that's crucible moments in our life. That's where we have a decision to make, a life-changing decision. How do we respond? You know, it's easy for us to sit back on this side and look back at Scripture and say, how could David do that? After all that God had done for him, how could David do that? But I think we have to sit back and look at our own life and say, with all that God has done for us, how God gave us His one and only Son to die in our place so that our relationship with Him could be restored. Knowing that, how can we continue to sin in our life. But the reality is we do. So before we're quick to judge David, let's take a look at our own life and let's ask the question, how will I respond to the sin that's in my life? Fortunately, in Scripture, we don't have to read very far to see how David responded. And I want you to see that David was restored in his relationship to God. Look at verse 13. It says, Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Those are powerful words. Don't skip over those words. They're just a few short words, but David recognizes the sin in his life. The conviction has come in his life, and he says that I have sinned against God. Listen, when God is in the business of pursuing us, he's not pursuing us to crush us. I, you know, part of, the, part of me wants to say, God, get him. Get him for what he's done. Have you ever said that about anybody? I hope not. But sometimes we think that, God, look how bad they are. Look at what they've done. God, get them. That's not right. God's not pursuing people to crush them. God is pursuing people to restore them. And that's exactly what he's doing with David. And again, that's exactly what he does with us, to restore that broken relationship. And when David had been convicted of his sin, he responded quickly, and he responded correctly. And I want you to see what happens. Look at the very next words. Nathan replied, yes, yes, David, you have sinned. You have sinned against God, but the Lord has forgiven you. David says, I have sinned against God. Notice that David doesn't say that we have sinned against God. I mean, Bathsheba was part of this. Um, he had his men that were doing things. We, we sinned against God. David's taken ownership. David says, I have sinned against God. He's acknowledging his sin to God. And he is immediately forgiven. Notice that it doesn't say that David acknowledged his sin and then after he went to church for like six months in a row without missing a Sunday, took his Bible and everything. I mean, he, went, he sang the songs. He did, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that after David went back and corrected all of his mistakes and made everything right, that then he was forgiven. It says that he was forgiven. At that moment when he confessed to God, when he recognized and he admitted that he had sinned before God, immediately he was forgiven. 1 John 1.9 says, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that is what David received that day. Again, if you go back into chapter 11, you see all the things that David did. I mean, he blew it big time in chapter 11. And guess what? The moment he confessed to God, all of that unrighteousness was cleansed. 
I want to tell you something. That is the great news of the gospel. That is the great news that we have today, that when we come to God and we confess our sins to Him, that immediately our sins are forgiven and we are cleansed from that unrighteousness, that we are made new. Our relationship with Him that has been broken because of that sin is now restored and we are back in the right fellowship with God. I want you to understand something today, that before we come to know Christ, our relationship is broken because of sin. Sin entered into the world, and now because of that, we are all born into sin. Our relationship with God is broken because of that sin. But when we come to Christ, our relationship with God is restored. But as we stumble and fall as believers, if we don't confess that sin, if we hang on to that sin, if we try to cover up that sin, that relationship with God is not where it needs to be. And I can tell you, David at this season of his life, from the beginning of chapter 11 until he got to this point, was not walking with God. He was not hearing from God like he should have been hearing from God. He was not listening to God. He was not enjoying the blessings of God. I would almost bet if you were able to talk to David that he would say that season of my life was a miserable season because I was not in communion with God. It is a miserable place to be for a believer, for a follower of God to be separated from him. It is a miserable place to be. And so now David's relationship is restored with him because he has been forgiven. But there's a part of this story that bothers me, and I think it should bother us. Notice what Nathan goes on to say. He says, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you and you won't die for this sin. Nevertheless, because you have shown utter contempt for the word of the Lord, by doing this, your child will die. So Nathan tells him, yes, you've been forgiven, but guess what, David? There's still consequences to come. And this is a reminder to us that even though we're forgiven, sometimes there's consequences to our sins. And sometimes those consequences aren't very pleasant. And Nathan says, this child that's been born with you in Bathsheba is going to die. Now one of the things that bothers me about that story is I think back to to why must the child die? the, The child didn't have anything to do with this, right? Why would the child die? And I wish I had a good answer for you. And I really don't. I really don't. And I think it's okay for us to have a problem with that, but God knows what he's doing, right? And as I was studying this week, and I began to think about that child, and you uh, look into the Psalms and different things, and you see with David is his repentant heart. But I notice later what he says here about the child. The child gets sick, And David is just weeping and praying to God, please spare the child. And the child dies. And while David was praying for this child, his servants were watching him and they were concerned about David and they were trying to get him to eat and everything. David would have nothing to do with it. Now the child dies and they're scared to tell David that the child has died because they're wondering he's acted this way while the child's sick. What in the world will he do when he finds out the child dies? And David sees them talking and asks him, said, did the child die? And they said, yes. And David gets up, he cleans himself up, and he becomes a different person. And they asked him, said, why are you this way now after the child has died when before you were weeping? And he said, because before I was pleading with God to let my child live. But now that my child has died, even though my child cannot come to me, one day I'll be able to go and see him. Because I know where he is. 
So we look at that and we say, well, the child suffered, but I want to believe that God still had peace with that child while the child was suffering. But knowing this, that when that child died, that child was in the presence of God. And what a blessing that is to know that that child was there, but still doesn't take the part of me that was bothered by that part of the story. But Nathan says there's consequences to your sins. And we see consequences, and consequences didn't stop there. David begins to have trouble in his household that you can read about in the next few chapters. And this is the reminder to us that sometimes we think in our life that my sin is only going to affect me. It doesn't bother anybody else. Why would it bother anybody else how I live my life? Well, guess what? It bothers because sin carries on and it affects other people, not just you. We live in a world today that says, don't worry about my sin. My sin affects nobody else but me. Oh, yes, it does. And it carries on. And there's consequences to sin. And we see that in this story. And I'm really glad that God doesn't take that part of the story away. I'm glad that he puts it there for us to see, even though we don't always understand it and it bothers us, but it is there as a reminder to us that there's consequences. And the consequences aren't just for us, but the consequences may be for others around us. But I want you to notice this, the last thing this morning, that God is able to take David's mess and use it for good. God is able to take David's mess and use it for good. While David's mess was big and it was a horrible situation, it's not the end of the story. Because of David's repentance and restoration, God was able to take his mess and cause good to come out of it. Now some people would say that David and Bathsheba, that your relationship was born out of sin, that you guys need to separate, you're never going to be blessed in your relationship, that this is a problem. But that's not what God says. And they continue on in this relationship. And I want you to notice what happens after their son dies in verses 24 and 25 of chapter 12. Beginning in 24, it says, Then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, slept with her. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And David named him Solomon. The Lord loved the child and sent word through Nathan the prophet that they should name him Jebediah, which means beloved of the Lord, as the Lord had commanded. So they have another child. They actually have several children. But this child's name is Solomon. Now Solomon comes from the word shalom. And the word shalom is the word for peace. And that sends a message that David now has peace in his life. I can promise you that when he had his back turned against God, there was no peace. But now that he has repented and God is restoring David back to where David needs to be, there is now peace in his life. And we see that Nathan, God sends Nathan to this child to have this child uh, given another name that says, beloved of the Lord. God loved this child. We know that Solomon was a very special man. Solomon would later become king of Israel. And remember when Solomon became king, he's praying out to God, said, I don't have a clue what I'm doing. My word's not his, but that's what he was saying. And he said, Lord, I need your wisdom. So God gave him wisdom, and Solomon is known as the wisest man to ever live. Solomon did a lot of great things while he was king. He was a great leader. God used him in a mighty way. 
God was able to take that which wasn't good and he caused good to come out of it because God has a way of doing that. Really gives to me a new meaning to Romans 8.28 that says, And we know that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Somehow God took David's big ugly and he caused good to come out of it. And that is something that only God can do. And can I tell you that if God does that in David's life, God can do that in our life as well. Now we sit back and we say, God, I messed up so bad. God, there's no way that uh, you could ever use that. God, I don't even want that to be a part of my story. I don't want people to even know about it. And God is saying, watch what I can do, even through your mistakes, if you will repent and turn back to me. God is able to do great things. Psalms 51 captures the grief and the repentance of David. And in David's prayer, he prays that this joy be restored so that he can use this story so that sinners will turn back to God. David wanted his mistakes to be a learning example for others so that they would turn back to God. But when you think about what God does through the story, how he turns things into good, as I mentioned, David had other children. He also had a child with Bathsheba that they named Nathan. I find that interesting because Nathan is the one that comes and confronts David and says, David, here's your sin, lays it out and brings the conviction. But David names a son after Nathan, which tells me David didn't hold any of this against Nathan, which he shouldn't have because it wasn't Nathan. It was David. But he names his son. And here's what I find interesting. If you will go into the chapter or the, the book of Luke and you will look at the lineage of David, it says that you have David and then you have Nathan, the son of David. Nathan, the son of David, that's the lineage of Jesus. So this relationship that wasn't supposed to happen, this family that wasn't supposed to be, God turns it into good, and now we see that Nathan, not the Nathan the prophet, but Nathan the son of David and Bathsheba is part of the lineage of Jesus. You know what that tells me? God, in his infinite wisdom, was not surprised by David's failures. God, in his infinite wisdom, knew what was going to happen. And he knew how this was going to play out. And how all this would come together. And God, in his infinite wisdom, knows you. He knows your mistakes. He knows you're big ugly. And he knows how to work that into the good. For those who love him and are called to his purpose. That gives me encouragement today to know that I don't have to hang on to those failures, those mistakes, that God's bigger than they are, and that God loves me. God pursues me. God wants a relationship with me, and if I will repent and turn to him, then that relationship can be restored. And even though there may be consequences to that sin that I still have to deal with, that I can deal with that knowing that God is greater than anything that we face in this life. I wonder today, what is God saying to you? Is God bringing you to a crucible moment in your life? Has He laid out before you today a decision that you need to make? For some of you today, it may be that decision to make Him the Lord and Savior of your life. That you've been 
watching, maybe you've been curious, but you've never accepted Him as your Lord and Savior, and today is decision day for you. God is bringing you to that point. How will you respond? Will you say yes to Him? For some, maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, but maybe there's something that you're hiding in your life. Maybe there's sin that you're not dealing with, something that you have done that maybe it's embarrassing to you and you don't want to deal with it, but God's saying, today's the day. Today's the day. Let's get that out of the way so that we can move forward together. For some, maybe God is calling you, sending you to be a Nathan in somebody else's life. And can I say if that's you and you know that God's calling you to do that, do that with humility, not pride. Do that with the humbleness that comes from God and only speak as God directs you to speak and watch what God does. What is God saying to you today and how will you respond to him? Let's stand together. As we dismiss, we're going to pray. And I just want you to take a moment right where you're at to spend, a, spend some time with God. Say, God, what do you want me to see through this? God, what is it that I need to do? How do I need to respond hearing this story? Father, I thank you today for your word. I thank you today for uh, the picture of grace, the picture of love, the picture that when we turn our backs on you, that you don't turn our backs on us, your back on us. God, I thank you that you pursue us even when we're far away from you, that you continue to pursue. God, I thank you that you've placed people in our lives at times to help us see the truth of who you are. God, I thank you for your word that convicts us. And God, I pray today for each one of us here. God, you know our hearts better than we know our hearts. And God, if there's an area in our life that today we need to make a decision to turn over to you, God, we would be quick as David was in this story, quick to release that, quick to repent, and quick to turn to you. Pray for anyone here today that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, that today you would just draw them unto yourself. Today they would see you and know your love, and they would give their lives to you. And I pray for that person that maybe there's something that they're hiding, something they're covering up, that today that would stop. Today they would confess that to you, and today they would receive your forgiveness. God, I pray in whatever way you lead us, whatever way you speak to our heart today, that we would be quick and obedient to respond to you. And it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.